0: Good morning to you. You were due a little extra. as You might have missed some. Although I heard there were some imposters amongst us. (laughs) Perhaps you heard the story of the man who was left stranded on a desert island. After a few years, a passing ship saw his smoke signal and they came to rescue him. And when they came ashore, he said, well let me show you the life that I built here in isolation. And uh, he took them to his hut. And he said, you know, with this home, I I built this with my own two hands. And then he showed them another building. He said, this is the church I built with my own two hands. And and they went back to the rescue boat, and just as they were about to leave the island, someone said, what's that other hut over there? He said, oh, that's where I used to go to church. (laughs) Divisions come to us naturally. Naturally unity supernaturally. Uh, When we were last together, we started to tackle what we call the trinity of maintaining Christian unity. And that Sunday, we focused on the primary thrust of 1 Corinthians 1, 10-17. And points 1 and 2 on our outlines that we went over a few weeks ago, and you can listen in on the website if you missed it, concern the need for unity and the need for centrality. Uh, the local church's unity is key to our neighbors seeing Jesus' beauty. For our Lord rightly said, By this, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. You know what he said? If you have love, one for another, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. And so too it is true that a church's fidelity to the centrality of Jesus' mission is the difference between a church being a city on a hill or an irrelevant relic with a steeple on top of it. Unity and centrality are the primary thrusts of this text in front of us, but there is a third point that is implicit and we must not miss it. It is something every church will struggle with, and it is Satan. It is something that Satan has a field day with. And it is point three on your outlines today, and we're going to go through it in a very detailed way. You see, in order to maintain Christian unity, there will be rare occasions when we need to deal with some matter directly. And on those rare occasions when we must deal with a matter directly and publicly, how do we do that biblically? How do we ensure that in this process it it doesn't degenerate into a a flesh fest? How do we make sure those meetings don't do more harm than good as the Corinthian congregation's meetings often did? Uh, Many churches, when faced with these moments, have done so without the Scriptures guiding them. And that is tragic. 1 Corinthians 1, 10-17 is absolutely chock full with practical guidance on when we must deal with the matter publicly and directly. 1 Corinthians 1:10 is on page 1210 of the blue pew Bible in front of you. Page 1210, 1 Corinthians 1:10. And so before we turn into the word of the Lord, let's ask the Lord of that word to bless our time together today. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I come to this topic with a certain level of fear and trembling churches often come apart at the seams. We become unrighteous. We become wicked. We speak with acid-dipped tongues. We fight for our perceived right or against our perceived slight instead of focusing on unity. And I am humbled as we move towards Easter and I remember that you, on the night before your arrest, where you would be tortured and crucified for our redemption, you prayed for us. And You prayed that we would be one. And yet we are always trying to win. Lord, I pray that this large preface, before I get into the meat and guts of the passage, that You would wash us with Your Word. That the wisdom of Scripture would keep us from situations that degenerate into a need for something public and direct that we might be able to handle situations long before then because we would be mature and Christ-like and loving and forgiving and obedient. And yet, Lord, we know that our hearts are prone to wander. Lord, we feel it. Lord, would You protect us? May Your truth wash over us. May we pay attention to the preface that we might not have to deal with this latter bit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the Word of God says in 1 Corinthians 1, beginning at verse 10, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and in the same judgment, for it has been reported by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each of you says... I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Friends, is Christ divided? Or was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius so that no one may say, that you were baptized in My name. I did baptize also the household of Stephanus, and beyond that, I don't know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the Gospel. And not with words of eloquent wisdom, let the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Friends, before we get into the nitty-gritty of how to handle those rare times when we must tackle an issue directly and publicly, it would do us well to remember that this situation is an absolute minority. It is something we pursue when there's no other avenue. Our first line of defense when we have suffered an offense is always to apply grace to that space. Amen? And most problems will go away when we do that. Now, our culture tells us we are never to be walked on, to be no one's doormat, to give them a piece of our mind. But our Scripture tells us to be like Jesus and to turn the other cheek and to go the extra mile. One of them is right and righteous. One of them is wicked and perilous. Which one will you walk in? Which one will you walk in? Ephesians 4.2 says, Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Proverbs 15.18 reminds us that a hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. Now, sometimes the situation is such where turning the other cheek and and going the extra mile only leads the offender to becoming more and more unrighteous. And the situation becomes more and more egregious and other brothers start getting sinned against. Even though we did turn the other cheek and go the extra mile. In those situations, we're not called to continue to, to, to be patient and silent, but in those situations, we may need to speak the truth In love. Now in Jersey, we're very good at speaking the truth. (laughs) You can go to Israel, tell them that you're from a church in New Jersey, and they have an idea that you're good at speaking the truth. But what we often need is some biblical assistance, some Holy Spirit guidance on how to speak the truth in love. God graciously has given us such counsel in His Word. A Scripture's example is that many problems that must be handled by speaking the truth in love ought to be handled tactfully and with great diplomacy. We saw several times this situation in the series we did in Esther and again in Nehemiah. In Esther, Esther had to gently and tactfully approach an erratic, egotistical, powerful king on very delicate matters, and she did it very, very well. We saw this again when we went to the next book that we studied, the book of Nehemiah. And God's servant was also tactful and respectful in wording his requests, carefully cloaking it in words of deference that ingratiated instead of infuriated the king. Go back and read the beginning of Nehemiah and you'll see just how he did that. Proverbs 15.1 reminds us that a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Proverbs 25, 20, uh, 15 reminds us. Proverbs 25, 15. Through patience, a ruler can be persuaded and a gentle tongue can break the bone. Now, there are going to be some situations sometimes where we have been sinned against and, and we can't move on from the offense. And, and those should be rarer than we think they are. But when you reach them, Matthew 18 says, if your brother sins against you, Go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. And if he listens to you, you've gained your brother. See, the goal is reconciliation. It's not who's right. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, not your allies, but it would seem to be someone with spiritual wisdom and maturity, probably in leadership in your church, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. It's possible that your issue is your issue and not the reality. And when you go to two other neutral, godly people, they may go, you know what? You just kind of need to get over this. Oh. See, we read this verse like it's the, it's the uh, steps to loading the cannon to blast our adversary. I don't think that's the way Jesus said it. Verse 17, now after you've gone, and it is a substantiated issue, and you go with a couple leaders, if he refuses to listen to them, there comes a time to tell it to the church, and if he refuses to listen even to the church... Let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector, meaning, okay, treat him as an unbeliever, he won't listen to Scripture, he's no longer a member, and we move on. I want you to notice that in those delicate situations, we are to deal with the matter directly but discreetly, and we're to share as little as possible and only with those who truly need to know. Now, that is not the way our flesh will tell us to behave. In those cases, we must remember the counsel of Proverbs 16, 28, where we're warned that a gossip separates close friends. You to tear apart a church? Make gossip a pardonable sin in your church. A gossip is when we tell someone who is not in a position of spiritual authority over a matter something we believe to be true. Sometimes what we believe to be true doesn't end up being true, but gossip isn't just when you tell lies. It's when you tell what you think is true to someone who's not in a position to do anything with it. And the Bible says gossiping is a a sin. Some churches think gossiping is a sport. Only one of those is correct, according to Jesus. Now, You can say something to an elder or a ministry leader, and and those comments, friends, are absolutely invaluable in assisting biblical leaders to make biblical corrections about possible infections and defections within the body. A leader can't fix what he doesn't know. Now, let me tell you right now, Satan never wants you to go to leadership. Satan wants you to go to your buddy. Instead of a careful, prayerful, gentle word shared in the pastor's study, Satan will goad us in the flesh to say a harsh, reckless, salacious word in the parking lot or at Chicken Hut or wherever you eat. Friends, gossip will not help the problem. It will create more problems. Gossip will not help the problem. It will create more problems. Write this down. Proverbs twenty-six twenty. Proverbs 26:20 20. Without wood a fire goes out and without gossip a quarrel dies down Now the wood that keeps the fire burning can be in our heads not just on our lips You see, Satan loves to debilitate a saint by having them fixate on a state or an ingrate until it so inflates that it opens a floodgate and that saint is robbed of all of his peace and joy. Because all he can think about is this supposed offense. Have you ever met somebody who's lost their joy and lost their peace and is full of anxiety and pain and fear because they're gripped by the supposed offense? Even though the offense isn't still happening... It is as though it's still occurring. The offense can become an obsession. It can become an unhealthy passion. An issue can become a splinter in the mind of that believer that festers until we're overcome by fever about the offender. If you find that an event or a comment has you paralyzed, it may be time to realize That Satan has gained a foothold and he will build a stronghold unless you behold that the issue is now magnified tenfold and your thoughts have now become reckless and uncontrolled and you're at the point of being utterly unconsoled and it will consume you and steal all your joy and peace in Christ. If obsession at someone's transgression leaves you unable to enjoy the blessings you have in Christ, I want you to remember Hebrews 12.15. Write that down. Hebrews 12.15. Hebrews 12.15 says, See to it that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See to it that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. You see, bitter roots bear bitter fruits. What starts in your heart will spread to your tongue and others will experience the poison within us. It will leak out of us. It will. Because the Word of God says in Hebrews 12:15. listen to the back half of the verse. We always focus on the root of bitterness, but I want you to see the fruit that it ends in. See to it that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile. If there is a root of bitterness growing in your heart, I want to encourage you to take it to Jesus and ask Him to prune it. Remember Proverbs 19.11. Write that down. Proverbs 19.11. It is to a glory. It, It is to a man's glory to overlook an offense. It is to a man's glory to overlook an offense. Your culture says, let them have it, they deserve it. Your master says it is to a man's glory to overlook an offense. Jesus became sin for us while we were yet enemies. And it was to his glory. To what, friends? Overlook the offense. Get over it! Or it will hang over you and it will poison us rehashing something in our minds friends it tends to make a matter larger retelling something to our friends tends to make a matter grow from one offense to many did you know sometimes silence is golden it's not just when you pay 15 bucks to watch a movie that wasn't worth three and they say silence is golden sometimes when we deal with one another silence is golden it reminds me of the old dental parable where the teeth smarted off to the tongue. Maybe you've heard it. The teeth said, well, if I press down just a little bit, you get cut. To which the tongue said, yeah, but with one misused word, all 32 of you are coming out. (laughs) Friends, there are times to tame our tongues, James said. And there's a time to speak and a time to be silent, the wisest man who ever lived said in Ecclesiastes. But sometimes... Some problems are of such a nature that the biblical answer is to confront them directly and publicly. Now, one of the greatest challenges a leader faces, or one of the hardest tasks of an elder board in any local church, is to have the spiritual wisdom to know when we're to be gentle and to when we're to be forceful. And too often, churches coddle the people they should clap, and they clap the people they should coddle. Now, we we should... To the mature, expect more maturity, and to the new believer and unbeliever, we should have more grace. But we tend to let the insiders get away with it, and the newbies get hammered. Shame on us. And Jesus helped us. Leaders have to learn when to employ diplomacy and when to deal with something directly. When to deal with the matter privately, and when to deal with the matter publicly. Sometimes God would have us to do all of those things in a progression in a given situation. Sometimes we're supposed to start off tactful and gentle, dealing with the matter initially, diplomatically, and privately. And only when such efforts are rejected, then we switch over to handling the matter publicly and confrontationally. And I'm going to tell you, friends, it takes Solomonic wisdom to know which way to go in a given scenario. And so I'm going to ask you guys to pray for Calvary's elders, that, that, that you would pray for one another and you would pray for yourself in these matters because they're tricky. But God's Word has a promise, and it's in James 1, 5, and you all should know that. should have it tattooed in the memory of your brain. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all Without reproach. He doesn't think less of you because you ask. And it will be given to him. In our text today, the Bible speaks to us about those times when the only way to preserve our unity is to deal with a matter directly. Directly, in this case, means publicly. And friends, it means confrontationally. And so with this extended caution (laughs) that in most situations we don't need to be public and direct. Sometimes we must. So today's passage deals with those rare times. Those rare times. And it is absolutely chock full of biblical counsel. And We ought not have meetings that are terrible. We ought to have meetings that are biblical. And there's instruction when we need confrontation. All right? So that brings us to point three today, the need to deal with some matters directly. The need to deal with some matters directly. Take a big sigh and buckle up because here we go. That was all pretext, now you're in the text. All right, here we go. How ought we handle those times when we must deal with the matter directly and publicly? So many churches come apart at the seams during these moments of directness because they become steel cage death matches where George the Animal Steel comes off of his faction and rips the turnbuckle off of poor Mrs. McGillicuddy. (laughs) Right? That's how it works. So God calls us to be peacemakers, but in our fallen flesh we tend to err on one of two ways. We either gravitate towards peace-faking, and you know who you are. Oh, there's no problem. We're good around here. No, no, no. We always have gunshot wounds at church. That's normal for Jesus, the peace-faker. There is no problem. That's not biblical. And then there's these other brothers who fall off the horse the other way. They have a proclivity towards peace-breaking, turning every issue into a battle royal, always wanting to be right, never stopping to be righteous. Always wanting to be right, never stopping to be righteous. Now, Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers, not the peace fakers, and not the peace breakers. Sometimes, rare times, peacemaking will require direct confrontation. Paul, as a leader in the Corinthian congregation, is told of a serious rupture. And the only way to fix it was to deal with it head on. And so I want you to listen to the first part of our text again. In verse 10, I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and there be no divisions among you, that you be united in the same mind and in the same judgment, for it has been reported to me by Chloe's people, he names names, that there is quarreling among you, brothers. And what I mean is this, he gives specifics. Some are saying, I follow Paul. Some are saying, I follow Apollo. Some are saying, I follow Cephas or Peter. Uh, Some are saying, I follow Christ. And then he gives some logic. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? There is no tiptoe around this issue. The Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, deals with the matter directly. He deals with the matter bluntly. He deals with the matter unmistakably clearly, and there will be times when a leader must do that. So the first thing we see is point A today. The problem is clearly stated. The problem is clearly stated. Verse 11, For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. Now there was no attempt to uh, tergiversate, it's a good SAT word, you can look that one up, to tergiversate or to equivocate. Paul called a spade a spade. There was a problem. And this problem was was tearing the body apart, and everybody knew it, and now it was time to do something about it. And since the nature of the problem was widespread and endemic, the solution was for the leader to deal with it directly and make it public. Rare, but sometimes needed. The second thing we see is that the Apostle Paul does not deal in hearsay. He does not deal in hearsay. There was no wishy-washy, some folks are saying. Instead, he lays it out. He spells it out. He says, you know what? Chloe's Chloe's people have reported that there's a problem. And they're right, and we need to make it right. Which is point B. The sources were cited. The sources were cited. Paul is not treading in rumors or cloaking everything in secrecy, he openly names his sources. The well-respected Chloe's people. The house church that probably met at Chloe's large house. Let me tell you something. You can't effectively pastor by cloak and dagger. Sometimes leaders are sent anonymous letters. And sometimes there are unsigned missives. Other times leaders are given uh, vacuous statements that people are saying. Have you had these experiences where you get an unsigned letter or people go, well, some people feel, but they won't tell you who the people are. Let me tell you, a wise leader always asks for specifics. And if they're not forthcoming, you need to be dismissive of that missive. Many a godly Christian leader has counseled never even read a letter that someone is unwilling to sign. Such letters are often ungracious in tone and untrue in content, or they'd sign it. If you open a letter and you see no signature, I've been told by many saints, just file it right in that circular rubbish file next to your desk. And that's proven to be good advice. Now, I haven't received a letter like that. This isn't in response, this is the text. To hear that, we're in a good place, church. But you need to hear this because these are the little things people do when they're not following Scripture in what they're trying to do. What happens when you read an unsigned letter that ungracious in tone and untrue in content. And I'm going to tell you what happens. If you digest it, it begins to eat at your soul. And any remedy is out of your control because you don't know who to go and talk to, how to fix it, right? It can only cause harm. Now, since you can't speak to the anonymous, there's no way to rectify it. Now, sometimes, a missive is not anonymous. But, but the facts are vacuous. Here's what I mean. Somebody comes to you and says, well, you know, people are saying X, Y, Z. Or everybody thinks such and such. Now, on closer inspection, this usually means one guy and his wife and maybe two or three of their friends. And that's usually where the sentiment is. Isn't it interesting? Everybody thinks this five people. Wow, that's not everybody. You're really bad at math. Now, two or three people may be wise, and they may be on to something, or they may be cranky cranks who are always on about something. You know, two or three people is quite different from two-thirds of the people. But two or three godly people gently urging a more biblical way, like Priscilla and Aquila did for Apollos in Acts 18 is different from two or three people who are advocating for their own way. You see the difference? Just because someone advocates something, it doesn't mean we should necessarily radically redirect our course. Perhaps our ship of faith is sailing exactly as Jesus, our captain, intends. And and what we're hearing is the howling of the headwinds of the world, the flesh and the devil, trying to buffet our ship of faith and get us off course. So we must carefully and prayerfully consider the source in whatever's said. Now sadly, some folks in their flesh think that if they are loud enough, for long enough, they will get their way. Have you met those people? I have. But Christians ought not measure a matter by the volume of the messenger, but by the validity of the message as it compares with Scripture. We also need to be careful to know really getting the truth. Proverbs 18, 17 reminds us the first to present his case seems right till another comes forward and questions him. The third thing we see is point C. The specifics were listed. The specifics were listed. Look at verse 12. What I mean is that each of you says, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Cephas, I follow Christ. that Paul knew the problem so intimately that he could state their slogans specifically? In those times when we have to deal with something publicly, every dirty detail doesn't need to be shared in its entirety for the sake of privacy, for the sake of propriety. But sometimes, some specifics are needed. So the issue is understood. Oh, that's what's really going on. I've been told something else. Now, hopefully a problem is able to be dealt with well ahead of all that. Hopefully, specifics can be limited to just those who are in leadership or just those who are directly impacted in a situation. But sometimes, rare times, leadership will have to take something to the body. And sometimes, some specifics, not every specific, but some specifics are necessary. Specifics help concretize what others seek to hypothesize. Sometimes some specifics are needed so the truth sets us free. If you can't share any truth, you're not going to be free. But I want to tell you right here, because Satan is talking to you too, (laughs) church is not a Seinfeld rerun. Those situations are not some kind of festivus for the rest of us where we offer an annual airing of grievances. That's not how it works. Paul gave specifics, not as parting shots, but to point out the factionalism that was hurting the Corinthian witness for Jesus in their community. So after the problem was clearly stated and sufficient specifics are listed, we come to a critical piece of the puzzle. You ready for it? Point D. A biblical principle is elucidated. A biblical principle, the biblical principle, is elucidated. First warm Sunday, fans not plugged in. So, uh, (laughs) listen to verse 10 again. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and in the same judgment. The biblical principle was they were to unite around their Savior and not divide around something lesser. Do you see that biblical principle? They were to unite around their Savior, not divide around something lesser. Now with the biblical principle clearly laid out before the saints, Paul explains the reason, the rationale, why there is this biblical principle. And and I think too often we don't do that. I think if there's a point that's missing, and many of them are, it's almost always E. The logic is enumerated. The logic is enumerated. Why should the saints be united? Well, look at verse 13. Is Christ divided? The implicit logic is this. If Christ is united, how can we be divided? Paul powerfully, pointedly, rhetorically asks Was Paul crucified for you? And the logic at that is this. If the God-man died for us, why would we elevate a mere man in front of us? Paul asks, were you baptized in the name of Paul? And the logic is this. If, If we died to the old and we put on the new through the power of Jesus, why would we be clannish about who baptized us? That's not important. Whoever baptized us, whether it was Paul or Peter or Apollos or some other, they're just a brother. But God is our Father. Do you see the logic he's laying out? Yeah. Peter, Paul, and Apollos are servants of the king. But friends, you and I are subjects to that king, not to those servants. Do you see the logic? Listen again. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? There's a logic to God's decrees. You know, God does everything decently and in order. He doesn't do things randomly. He doesn't do things recklessly. And He doesn't do things needlessly. John 1-1 tells us, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. Now, do you know the word for word in Greek? It's logos. And logos is the word from which we get our word, logic. And so Jesus, as the logos of God, he is the ground and fount of all rationality stemming from eternity. And so there is often compelling logic inherent in every commandment. And we're often wise to share it. Jesus commands us that we're to worship the Lord with all our, and we're often content just to do it with our heart and soul and spirit. But he also said with your mind. As we tackle difficult matters, we must make sure that the biblical principle is elucidated. What does the Bible want us to do? And if it's possible, the biblical logic, God's logic is enumerated. Why does God want us to do it that way? Many times we tell people what, but never why. And they become little Pharisees, don't they? But when you understand the logic, you become a worshiper who delights in following Christ. Putting on the mind of Christ is more than robotic obedience. It's this, according to Scripture, it's not conforming any longer to the world to the pattern of this world, but being transformed by the renewing of our minds so we're able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, perfect, and pleasing will. You understand the logic behind it. And so you can be obedient. Which brings us to the final truth today. After the problem is stated after the sources are cited, after the specifics are listed, after the biblical principle is elucidated and the logic is enumerated, a solution must be advocated. A solution must be advocated. And that's F. The solution is advocated. The solution is explicit in the first verse of our passage. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and in the same judgment. There's a solution. And he says it. And he calls them to it. And he won't back down from it because it honors Jesus. In those rare times when we must deal with the matter directly and publicly, it's critically important that the point of those meetings never be permitted to degenerate into a fleshly rehashing of our grievances. Those meetings must never be turned into an attempt to reinforce our petty alliances, our ethnic allegiances, or our personal preferences. But friends, many times they do, don't they? We let it run into mob rule instead of God rule. And everything God has been building is destroyed. These meetings can't become church theater or it will always be a tragedy. Those meetings are for one reason to bring the matter to resolution, to bring a biblical solution, to bring an end to the corruption and the pollution within a congregation. Meetings for meeting's sake. Meetings that do more harm than good, meetings whose purpose is to create a showdown for a throwdown so that someone won't have a meltdown. It's never the point. It's never the point. But it's often what happens. This is not a passage you can appeal to so you can have your day in kangaroo court with the congregation. It's a passage to remind us that when something is unbiblical, it has made our witness unpalatable and our unity unworkable, we do need to pause and reflect for the sake of Jesus. Verse 10 says, I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that all of you agree and there be no divisions among you and that you be united in the same mind and in the same judgment. Now, United and the old King James is perfectly joined together. That's how the KJV puts it. And and both our translation and that translation are are trying to render the Greek word katartidzo. And it's a medical word. It it means uh, for setting a bone that's out of joint or broken. Put it back together. Put it back together. So hear this. The sole purpose of a public powwow is not to fight but to set things right. So that what is broken can be mended. Some people want things to go public so they can have an audience for their grievance. Amen? This passage and these principles are not giving those people any license. Friends, did you know that the heart is deceitful and and desperately wicked, and who can know it? We can easily baptize our agendas as God's agenda. In our fleshly quest for validation, we can turn into God's call for consultation within the congregation under the guise of bringing resolution. And it's fooey and hooey, and we have no business entertaining it. In those cases, we would be wise to be like Nehemiah. And, And Nehemiah, despite being called to endless, pointless, fruitless meetings, despite slander by open letter, despite Sambalat's threats, And Tobiah's tantrums, Nehemiah as God's servant, well, he ignored all of them every time. And he did what God had called him to do. And so the wall that 50,000 exiles could not build in almost 100 years was built in 52 days. And do you know why? Do you remember why? Because those saints were more interested in worship than mischief. Because those saints were more concerned about God's agenda than their agenda. Sometimes, friends, we're going to have to be public and direct, but it's much rarer than our flesh would clamor. And so let's pray that we'd always be wise enough to know when do we turn the other cheek and go the extra mile? When should we be patient and long-suffering? And when should we be direct and confrontational? Let's pray that when we have to act in these delicate situations... That we would be Christ-like. That we would follow Scripture and not our fallen nature. In those times, this passage tells us when we must deal with a matter directly, the problem is clearly stated. The sources are clearly cited. The pertinent specifics are listed, but not every gory detail. The biblical principle is elucidated. And the biblical logic, if possibly, is enumerated. Why? So that God's solution is advocated and then adopted. And then adopted. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that today, as I deliver this message, we are not in a period of tension or dissension here at Calvary Church. Thank you that today at Calvary is a day of unity that today is a special time of gathering and giving. I wasn't even supposed to give this message this Sunday, but a snow day made it this Sunday, and so You wanted it this Sunday. Thank You, Lord, that as we have a time where we're going to break bread together, and thank You for Your goodness to us as we continue to see Your gracious progress within us. Oh, Jesus, how I thank You that by Your grace we are united and not divided. Thank You, Jesus, that there is no grave matter before us. Thank You, Jesus, that for four years, not an unkind word has been uttered in our business meetings. Thank You that within our committees and ministries, Your people with different gifting and personalities and experiences, they're working together for Your glory and our good. Thank You, Jesus, that my entire tenure as pastor, That in every single decision our elder board has made, it's been unanimous. That in every meeting, it's ended harmonious and never acrimonious. By your grace and for your glory, may it always continue to be so. Jesus, we love you. Help your love to flow from us to one another. Jesus, we need you. Help your example of turning the other cheek and going the extra mile be our testimony in a fallen, broken world. Help us to remember that it is to our glory to overlook an offense and not to harbor them up in the stove of our heart until we melt down. Help us to seek first your righteousness, not our perceived rightness, Help us to seek first your kingdom and not our agenda. Help us to keep the centrality of your mission, the Great Commission, and the unity of your body at the forefront of all we say and do and think and feel and plan here at Calvary. Because it's your church, not ours. We ask all these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.